Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the AmCast. My name's Chris and this is... Erica. And we're talking about ministry things specifically to young adults. If you need more information, go to parkhillschurch.com or... You can find us on the App Store, any of them, at Park Hills Church. All right, everybody, week two coming at you. We got Erica here, Chris, and we're ready to talk over probably everyone's most favorite thing in the entire Bible, the law. Hmm. I usually skim past Leviticus. You should see Erica's face and how stoked she is right now to talk about the law. Things like the law. Yeah. All right, so the basic storyline of the law, as far as the scripture goes, goes back to what we started talking about last time briefly, but this idea that Genesis 1, God is the definer of what is good and what is evil. And the fact that he's the definer of what is good and what is evil sort of sets up a standard for us. And everything God says is good is good, and everything that God says isn't good is bad. Mm-hmm. That's a basic concept that I think most of us understand. Our parents are telling us things to do, and we know to some extent that they're, that they're right. We either rebel against that or we think they're dumb and we don't do our own thing, and then it ends up falling apart anyway, so we have to figure that out. But the idea of God's law, especially the concept of Torah, the Old Testament, we call it the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The word Torah has been translated law a number of times in the Bible, But Torah, or the first five books, is really more instruction, and it deals with a storyline that's supposed to both show us that we're dependent upon God for his goodness, and also that God is the one that defines what's good and what's evil. So there's a number of things that are in there that are commands. Some of those make total sense, you know, the big 10, the 10 commandments. Uh, But there's a number of other things in there that seem really weird and funky to us. And so if we're gonna deal with the law and deal with it well, the basic storyline of the Bible is, we have to sort of pull ourselves back from the fact that we don't see things God's way. Yeah. And the reason we don't see things God's way is because we rebelled against him in the first couple chapters. Well, and he gave us the ability to do that in the first place, right? Like right. he gave us choice because he's not going to force us to love him, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing because, yeah, true love I mean, is not forced. It is you choosing to to love somebody. So, right. so yeah, he gave us that choice even to rebel, which is crazy to think about. And I think the downside is a lot of us look at the law as a set of really, really tightly bound rules that are absolutely impossible to follow, which we're going to get into more in the deeper dive. But I want to suggest that the law is beautiful because it's God telling us, this is who I am. And if you want to be like me, these are the things you need to do to do that. So at the Bible Project, for example, they did a, a podcast slash video on holiness. And I really love the way that they described it. So I'm going to steal this idea from them and just sort of spell it out here. But what God was doing is actually teaching us how to become holy so that we might enter his space. Mm, I like that. So whether it's ceremonial cleanness or whether it's uh, you know any other aspect of the law, things that you do or don't do, things that you think or don't think, things that you take part in and don't, if you don't do these things, it allows you to become 
as close to holy as you can be so that he's welcoming you into his space. Yeah, I, I've i never thought of it in that way because I guess, I mean, in the beginning law to me was always don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, like a list of don'ts and the occasional do. But then I've come to realize that it's just the better way of doing life. But that actually is even better because mine is still just here on earth. I mean, it's I do see that it's, you know, for sanctification, but yeah, it's just the better way of doing life, whereas yours takes it that step further. And I think that's the key. So that's good. And what's amazing is if you start to look at it that way, it's really cool because there's a number of people in the Bible who don't do things the right way that God welcomes into his space, not on their own merit, but he welcomes them in by making them clean. So it suggests that there's also a little detail there that's way bigger. So is that, is that you're talking about like the holy of holies kind of a thing? Is that what you're talking about when making them clean? Or what do you mean by that? Yeah, that's a good question. No, I, I don't mean the holy of holies because in order to enter the holy of holies, they would have had to gone through a whole bunch of ceremonies in the okay, morning so to make that happen. Okay. Right. There are a number of ways in the Bible that through the law, if you approach God on his terms, you could be made right. So the idea of the Day of Atonement and entering the Holy of Holies, that high priest had to go through a bunch of hoops to be able to be made holy to allow himself to go before the Lord. So he's not making himself holy. God is still accepting the gift and making that person holy. However, if they don't follow the rules, they don't make it. On the flip side, there's individuals like Isaiah who come to grips with the fact that they're broken. And what does God do? He grabs those, those tongs and his angel flies over with the, the hot coal to burn his mouth, so to speak, and allow him to become holy. And now it's time for the, the deeper, deeper dive. dive. I love being a dork about this. So to start the deeper dive, I want to read just a, a bit of a passage, and then we have some good questions to dive into. And I think the discussion today could be fun, even though it's about the law, which is not fun. So if you read Deuteronomy 6, one of the things that says there is, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them on a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So, the first thing I want to sort of explore here with a deeper dive is we have the Bible, right? I mean, we read yes. written words right in front of us. We have access to it. We're a literate society, so we're able to dive into that. The early Israelites did not have that. Correct. So how else are you going to pass on what God wants us to do versus what God doesn't want us to do if we don't take some time to pass it on to the individuals orally. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It so, dies. Yeah, so yeah, the whole idea with Deuteronomy 6 is, parents, you're not just being a parent. You're supposed to pass on the very words of God to your children, which that alone, as a young adult, that should be deeply convicting to us, right? Because mm -hmm. even if you're not a parent yet, and not all young adults are, but some of us are, and we feel super guilty about that for various reasons, right? I mean, I, there's a number of individuals in my life who our single parents in their early 20s, and they think that all their friends are passing them up with real life and having a great time. But you have a huge, amazing responsibility before you. You've got this little person in front of you 
that doesn't know how to read yet, and they're completely dependent upon you to pass on the words of God. How's that for overwhelming? I would imagine very overwhelming. <laughs> right? Yeah. And now imagine an entire people who don't read and write. The vast majority of people haven't read and write until fairly recently in society. I mean, the Western civilization that we live in is very literate, but we weren't until a couple hundred years ago. So the way that you passed all this on is by having individuals that are going to love you enough to tell you what's going on. So what's happening in Deuteronomy 6 is there's this command to us, first off, take my law seriously enough that you do it. Second of all, know it well enough that you can pass it on to your kids. And why is that so stinking important? Well, go back to Genesis 3. What happened in the garden? The serpent said something that was close to the word of God, but not. And Eve's response was less than what God had said. So her failure there is to not take God at his word and do things his way, or put in quotes here, follow the law. She did it her own way. So what ends up happening is she fails. So what's the most important thing you could do? Know the law, follow it, and then pass it on. And that's really what's happening in Deuteronomy 6, I think. Mm -hmm. So what is the purpose of the law? I think this is a tricky one because a lot of people look at the law, and again, they go back to, they think of laws like America. You know what I'm saying? So we look at the law and we go, do not murder. Okay, I'm not going to murder anybody. I'm following the law. Jesus has another perspective on that verse. So it shows us the law isn't what maybe we think the law is. Or following the law is, I'm not going to speed, right? So on a youth trip one time, I was going two miles over the speed limit. Another youth leader of mine refused to go past the speed limit. And as the hour went on, we slowly drifted apart further and further <laughs> and further away. And that's not, again, really, I think, what the law is setting up. If you're going to use the arguments that Paul makes in the New Testament, whether we're looking here at Galatians or Romans or any other number of places, and we're going to get into these way down the road in the podcast. So, so for now, uh, you know, the yam cast is not going to read all these passages of Scripture. We're just going to merely point out that they're coming down the road. But the law seems to suggest that it's a barrier that we understand we can't reach God, right? The idea is really that the law is sort of this wall that's built up that says, you aren't like me, you're never going to be like me. So we're supposed to look at the law and not go, oh, I can do all of those things. If anything, it seems that we're supposed to look at the law and go, I'm, I'm, I can't do it. Yeah, like I'm, I'm needy and already set up to fail. And I think all the characters in the Bible who get that are the ones that are brought into the presence of the Lord, whether it's Elijah or Isaiah or Moses even. Think of Joshua. Like all these individuals who you look at them and you go, whoa, I am just not good. What does God do? He's like, I see your humility. I'm, I'm bringing you into my presence. Let's do this. As opposed to think of all the individuals, especially in the New Testament when Jesus is walking around, all the individuals who come up to Jesus and say things like, oh, I, I'm doing the law. You know, think of the rich young ruler. Yeah. I, I got this covered. We're good. And Jesus says, what are you talking about? That's not at all what we're talking about here. This, you're, you've missed the point. So the idea is the law is supposed to be an insurmountable uh, wall that makes us stop and, and pause and go, whoa, God, I can't do this. So when I look at the law, especially in the Old Testament, it's all over the place. But most of what I read, I know that I can't accomplish that. Right? Even, even the idea of, you know, do not, do not commit murder. Yeah, I'm, I've never, I'm never going to murder someone in my life, I hope. You know, like, I, I don't have any desire to do so, and I, I'm a fairly patient person. So I don't think that's ever going to happen. You know, I, I might get framed for something like The Fugitive or something, and someday, you know, you all see me on the news trying to run from somebody. <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm going down a, a long rabbit hole here that I don't want to go down. But the idea is I, I doubt I'm ever going to murder someone. 
On the flip side, there are moments where I'm very angry with people and I would like to kill them in my heart. I'm never going to follow through on it, right? But there's individuals throughout my, my ministry career who have pushed my buttons or tried to make me, you know, they've said mean things about me or they've lied about me to other people. And there's a moment there I just think, God, to strike them dead. Can you just get rid of them, please? How is that not the same yeah. thing as murder, right? And I think that's what Jesus is saying when we talk about what he says in the New Testament, this idea of, you, you know, you, you say don't commit murder, but if you have anger in your heart, it's the same thing. We don't think that way. And what Jesus is doing there is, again, building that idea of this wall. It's supposed to make us want to call out for mercy. It's supposed to make us want to, want to be humble. It's supposed to make us want to go to God and go, I can't do this. Fix it for me. And in which case he says, I did. I got you covered. So I think that's the first element of the law that's really, really huge and important for us to follow uh, and, and to know that it's not necessarily about a bunch of rules we follow. The second part of it is, and this is kind of comes back to the question you asked, is the culture we live in today, some, a lot of people get really focused on the law as if it's the thing to do, and they totally miss the whole New Testament, right? The yeah. whole idea is that we can't follow the law. Jesus paid the price to cover it over for us, which leads us to, I think, the third point, especially for young adult ministry, this is huge. If we're, if we're going to understand the law correctly, if we understand that first it's a, it's a wall that's been built that we can't cross ourselves, two, the mercy of Jesus covers us and, and does that, then three, we don't just recklessly live our life because we're covered in grace, mm -hmm. which is what I deal with with a lot of young adults, right? I mean, mm -hmm. So as we're digging deeper in the deeper dive, the idea here is a lot of young adults really struggle with this because either they feel like they're not living up to expectations because of the law, or they look at the law and they go, well, I'm free in Jesus, so I don't have to do it at all. They've missed the whole point because the idea is if we're going to want to be like God, there's probably a lot of the law that's valuable for us and helps us sort of see what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. But there's also a lot of weird things in the law, right? Very weird. So why? Why does it have to get weird? Yeah, that's a huge question that I'm just going to dig into one element of that today. But there's so much that could be said about it. There's lots of books written about this. And maybe we'll create some show notes with all that for you. There is a lot of weird stuff in the law. And I just want to focus on one aspect of that because, honestly, there's so many rabbit holes that we can go down here. So here's the one aspect I want to think about. The law was weird such as you're not allowed to eat shellfish, you're not allowed to do this or that. And I have a lot of friends who are purposely not obeying the law right now. And what I mean by that is there's areas of their life that don't match up with what they read in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. whether that's their sexual preference, whether that's their, their lifestyle choices, whether that's their... Just go down the list. All the things that we do, and we read the law, and we go, I'm not matching up to this. I don't like this. So... Then they read a little part of the law, don't eat shellfish. And they go, well, I love shrimp. You eat shrimp. Since you eat shrimp, I can do whatever I want to do. And they run off the deep end and kind of do whatever they want to do. And so what I want to, it's weird. Reading the law is weird. And at points, we want to make sort of arguments to sort of allow certain behaviors or certain lifestyle choices or all that kind of stuff. I want to just push pause on all of that. And here's the element that I would deal with. The law itself is a group of individuals leaving a place that they were enslaved with a certain lifestyle, mindset, and way of doing things that was way outside of what God wanted it to be. Then God grabbed hold of them in the Exodus, led by a guy named Moses, right? And Moses carries them out of Egypt with God's leading, 
and gets them to where they need to go almost right to the very, very edge of the, of the, of the land of, of promise. And in the midst of that, God has to rewire everything that they think. Yeah. So you have a God who is beyond time, beyond space, beyond everything, calling a group of people who are completely inundated and enculturated in a culture that's wrong. And what God does is he moves them from point A to point B or C. Well, yeah, and they, I mean, yes, talking about the culture, but even more so they've been slaves. So they haven't made really any of their own decisions, I would imagine, for quite some time. They've had other people making all of those decisions for them. And now it's kind of like the the 18-year-old that finally tastes freedom. And they're like, what do I do with it? What do I do with it? I don't know what to do with it. What is this? I don't know what to do. Because they've been having their, you know, the 18-year-old's been having their parents that's been doing that, making all of their choices for them. And so, yeah, they don't, in a lot of ways, the law helps them to understand what they should be actually doing. It's an interesting way. I've never thought about that. And how to be different. Yeah. I think that's a key. And, and not only how to be different, but how to think differently. So there's certain ceremonial laws, such as don't eat this type of food. Typically, when you don't eat a certain kind of animal, it's because either the animal eats food that's not good for you. So like you can't eat an eagle because they eat dead stuff and that sits in their belly. So if you're eating, if you're eating an animal that's eating dead things, that's not a good way to eat. Pigs, while they're clean, there's various diseases that come along with pigs, plus pigs eat filth and all, whatever they want to eat, they sort of just grind it all up and make it their, their thing. So some of those things are unclean, whereas the animals that aren't unclean are the ones who eat the plants, have a certain style of life, provide milk and other things in a land flowing with milk and honey. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So the things that you're allowed to eat and the things you're allowed to do fit the motif of what God's trying to accomplish. And really, a lot of those animals are tied into what the Garden of Eden is all about. The idea of eating plant-based things, eating food this way and that kind of thing. So if you start to step back a little bit, you realize, oh, they're not as, those, those laws aren't as weird as I thought they were. Mm -hmm. And if we're thinking about just moving people from a culture that they're in to a culture that they're supposed to be and reconfiguring their entire brains. And then on top of that, some of these ceremonial things that seem weird to us, folks, we are a few thousand years past when this law was first given. And in fact, a lot of those food laws were, were suspended in the New Testament when God said, don't call things unclean that I've made clean. I've made them clean so you can eat whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. So a lot of us haven't grown up in a Jewish household. A lot of us are, you know, what the Bible would call Gentiles. We're people from the nations. And we have a certain way of living and thinking and, and breathing and all that kind of stuff and eating. So we don't follow those same rules because we never were meant to. It, it's a different type of lifestyle and different kind of thought. So I didn't think we were talking about food. Wow, look at this. Sorry, guys, we did talk about food. Yeah. And a plant-based diet even. Wow, look at Yamcast. that. Yamcast. Look at that. So let's get practical. Let's get practical, practical. So what are some of your takeaways for young adults, college students and young adults, specifically dealing with the law? What are some of the things we've talked about today that would be helpful, you think? Um, so the first thing was knowing scripture. So... It is very true that Eve, and I don't know if, I mean, we don't know if God specifically told Eve. We know that God told Adam, and maybe Adam was supposed to relate to Eve, and maybe that was the breakdown, but she did not know the specific command. And so then Satan's like, I've got an in. And so, and then that just jumps us up to when Jesus was tempted by Satan and comes back with scripture every single time from Deuteronomy. So it's, it is valuable to know the truth 
so that you can dispel lies with it. Because if you don't know the truth, then lies will run your life, your entire life. So knowing the truth, which is the Bible, is essential. So that would be my first. Yeah, that's huge. And I would say not only just knowing scripture, but knowing enough about scripture to know what's being said and where and when and why. So the culture aspect is important. So if you're reading something and you're going, well, this doesn't make any sense. Are they talking to people that are from 3,000 years ago where they live in an agrarian society compared to the fairly urban society that we live in here in America? That's a totally different concept and different culture. And our culture is actually built on the Judeo-Christian ethic from you know, really when Christ did what he did 2,000 years ago. So we live in a culture that just takes us all for granted mm-hmm. versus individuals, again, that were coming out of slavery that didn't know how to speak the law or they didn't even know what God was about. And so he's trying to tell them what that is. That's, that's a different way of living, a different way of thinking. That's not to say that the Old Testament's not meaningful or valuable. I, please, I know some could take that and run with that, but I, all I'm saying here is if we're going to get really practical, it means we understand the law for what it is. We also understand the entire Bible for what it is. We step back and go, hmm, what's being said here? If this is a, a poem about something, maybe we should stop and think, oh, this is poetry. Let me think about what it's supposed to mean as opposed to taking it literally and making it say what I want it to say. Very true. Yeah. That's one. My next, my next point would be that um, the, the connection with your head to your heart is essential. So when we talked about how there are some people in the Old Testament that, that came with that willing heart, and you, you said humility, like that's a posture of your heart, whereas there is the rich young ruler who came with all of the head, all of the head knowledge, and there was no connection to his heart. So that I think is also essential is if you're just looking at the, the law as a list of do's and don'ts, that's all about your head, and God wants your heart. So he wants you to come with a posture of, I can't do it, and I know I can't. But I also know that you've already done it. So like I surrender, you know? So just that connection from head to heart is essential. Which some of us make, that makes God sound like a jerk. I, I just know that in my heart, sometimes I've looked at the law and gone, well, God, you're just mean. Why are you setting this up? If I'm not like you, why are you pointing it out? There's another way to look at it entirely, right? He's, that a, he's a glorious, beautiful God who's holy and mighty and just, who gave us a chance. We totally screwed it up. And we think that because we screwed it up, now he should come our way. Versus him being able to set up and say, no, if you want to reach me, this is how you do it. And then we look at it and we go, I can't. And he goes, I know. That's the idea. Right? You get it. So if you're a young adult, yeah, if you're a young adult and you're hard-hearted toward God, maybe it's just time to take a step back and think, should I really think this way about him? Maybe he's different than I've expected him to be. Maybe I've given him a bad rap when really he's trying to give me, you know, the best possible foot forward. So. Yeah, often we look at the circumstances in our lives and we think that reflects who God is. And that's not at all the, the, the case. So, But yeah, really just coming with that posture of gratefulness versus entitlement or I deserve X, Y, and Z. Instead of being like, if I really look at myself, I probably don't deserve a whole lot if I'm going to be honest with where I'm at and my headspace and the negative thoughts that I often have. Well, and for Gen X, Gen Y, and Gen Z, which is, right, Gen X and then Millennials is Y and Z is the, you know, the age group that's coming up that we're also speaking to as well. We've been told our entire lives that we are the most valuable thing in the world, whether it's by our parents, whether it's by our television. So every commercial we've ever been given was, you deserve this because you're good and we're gonna give this to you because that's what you want. By the way, it's gonna cost you a lot of money. You're gonna go in debt. 
but you're valuable. <laughs> right? You're welcome. We're told that we're the center of the universe. And so for us to step back a little bit and ask God, I need some humbling. I need to realize that I'm not maybe as big a deal as I thought I was. That's super hard to hear, but I think it's important for young adults to sort of process that and step back and think that through. I didn't like it. I'm sure you had moments like that in your life. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, you kind of, I mean, as a child even, you're very selfish in and of, like, you don't have to be taught to be that way. And you kind of think that everything revolves around you. And when that light kind of goes on where it doesn't revolve around you, yeah, you kind of have a choice to make. Am I gonna continue to live in the dark and think that it still revolves around me? Or am I gonna actually step into the light and be a contributing member? So Erica, today is Enneagram Moshe. What is the, that? The Moshe edition. Oh, because of Moses. Okay, I get it now. Oh my word. I had no idea what you were talking about. All right, so I also think with Enneagram, it just helps us to see that like they're normal people, these Bible characters, even though you see their flaws a lot of the time. So they kind of appear a very normal, especially this one we're going to talk about today. Mr. Moshe, is it? Sure. Sure. Um, so Moses, he, I think, exhibits uh, behaviors that put him along the six route. The six, the majority of the time is called the loyalist. So they, they do suffer a lot of like self-doubt which you see in the beginning with Moses where he's, you know, I can't speak. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. And, and God's like, fine, I'll give you this person. Um, but then from then on out, he's extremely loyal. I don't know if I ever really see him doubting, at least in I don't know if I ever really see him doubting again. I feel like a lot of times he's very, he's very loyal. Like once he's made up his mind, he's like, all right, this is how it's going to, this is how it's going to go. So six, um, a six has, as they like to kind of call it, like a committee in their head. And no, Christopher, it's not schizophrenia. It is a... Schizophrenia. <laughs> it's it's basically your mind is going, well, what about this? 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 And so it puts you down this train of worst case scenario. That sounds like schizophrenia. <laughs> Which I totally suffered. I mean, when I was listening to all of these types, I was like, wow, I this part of the six is so true. When I was a child, my mother would be late to pick me up often. And as I said, we didn't have cell phones. So I'm like, is she coming? Is she not? Is she coming? Is she not? I don't know. I think she's now gotten a car accident, which means I'm gonna have to go live with my dad. What's that gonna be like at the funeral? Like this is what was going on in my mind when she'd be late to pick me up almost every single time. So then I would see her headlights and I'd be like, all right, she's here. And then those thoughts would go away until the next time that she was late. So that's kind of that worst case scenario where you just go down the rabbit trail. So so how is that not like schizophrenia? <laughs> I think I'm a pretty balanced person. You are now. I've, I've just tamed all of those other voices. You've winged out <laughs> of the six. I have no idea what that even means. Uh, but no, I, I think, yeah, that that's him kind of with that self-doubt of like, I can't really do this. And I see this going poorly, but then once he's, once he's made that decision, like, yep, he's good. He will stand by you. He will defend you. He will all of those things, which I think you see him do as he matures and grows up. So I could get behind that. If I knew what the Enneagram was, that totally sounds legit. 
but I don't know what it is. I don't want to know what it is. And, but that definitely sounds like Moses. I don't know if Chris realizes that through this, he's going to know a lot about the Enneagram. Unfortunately, I'm sort of being forced to know it. What I will say about Moses is I've always been annoyed by him. Mm-hmm. He drives me nuts. Just you watch him complain and whine to the God of the universe. These people you put he, like put with me here, put here with me. That's the word, yeah. Like he says that often. Yeah. And I, These that, people that you've... Now, as a pastor, that part I totally understand, <laughs> right? I understand the idea. These people you gave me, Lord, ugh. However, not Park Hills, of course, because this church great. is great. But what I'm saying is I get that part. What I don't get is, for example, I don't speak so good to the God of the universe. And we, we talked about this a couple of days ago. The idea that he's afraid to go talk to little bitty Pharaoh but he's speaking to God and he's like, I can't do this. You're talking to God. That'd be like me going up to the, you know, the, the president of the United States and saying, I am so afraid of talking to this middle manager. Can you tell me how to do it? I'm terrified. And I, if I was the president, I'd be looking at me going, you're a moron. I'm way more powerful and scary than this. But yet God is patient with him and he's good, which really comes back to this whole idea of the law. God is so much better than we think in a lot of ways, he shows so much mercy. We just choose not to see him that way. We see him as the big, angry, lightning bolt throwing guy. Whereas you look at a story like Moses, that dude deserves some lightning bolts. And what he got was mercy and salvation. But he did not get to see the promised land. There's a lot behind that story that we probably will get to in Judges at some okay. point because there's some elements of it that, that matter, but not yet. Well, and it's just, I think it's also the immaturity of him because I I totally get that where I'm like, the earth seems real scary. Whereas you're like, I can't see you really. So it's like, eh, whatever, you know? And it's like, actually the things you can't see are far more scary than the things you can. All right, last little segment. Our yam spot. The yam spot. Yeah, I think I think with young adults, they want, authenticity they want things to be real so i think even as the leader of the group quote unquote you need to be authentic and you need to be real um they do they can spot when you're not super easily they don't want as we were were just talking about it at our congregational meeting like they don't want this person up on the stage that has this huge pulpit and like this is why you should listen to me because I'm up here. It's a, I want the face-to-face. I want real. I want friendship. That's that's a lot of what it is. So if you're planning on only meeting with them once a week, that's probably not going to fly. And, and maybe it's big group once a week, and then you need to be intentionally in their lives. I think that's that's what they want. They want people to take an interest in their life. Because I think what they've seen with church is it's just a lot of fake. And I think in a lot of ways, they just don't want to be about that. If I could add anything to that, it's a lot of us listening to this are maybe thinking, I shouldn't have to change, right? I mean, there's a great line from a movie, why would I change? They're the one that sucks. So That's great. That's kind of how we feel sometimes is when I'm looking at someone, I'm going, I shouldn't have to change for them. They should come to me. But what breaks my heart in this, and this, this is the part that gets tough for me to talk about, but it's, it's worth talking about, 
someone changed their, themselves for a period of time to access my life, right? Mm-hmm. Someone stepped down from their lofty estate, and I'm not necessarily talking about Jesus here, although the Bible does talk like that, but there were individuals that let me in. I was an annoying little teenager idiot, and I didn't deserve any time. And they chose to give up time, give up energy, uh, learn how to speak my language, learn how to work into my life to show me what Jesus looked like. So when Paul's saying, I became all things to all men, get over yourself and think about it. So if being authentic is important for this age group, then be real. And don't be real in the sense of, well, yeah, that's why I'm going to talk about how much I love certain political views. We're not talking about real like that. We're saying be vulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. Talk to them like a human being. Act like they're a human because, by the way, they are. And just live their life with them. And if they're making terrible, terrible choices, welcome to parenthood. I mean, that's pretty much the entire life that most of us are living. Our parents are looking at us like, that's going to totally blow up in their face. But they love us enough to either let us do it or step in our way and say, you can't do this. And so for us to be really authentic and and good at dealing with this age group, it means I'm going to say, I know I'm not perfect. I'm going to fail you over and over and over again. But give me a chance. I'm going to give you a chance. Welcome to the conversation. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, I agree. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Yamcast. Yes, thank you. We'd like to give a special shout out to our friend Brian who made the music. And we also are looking forward to meeting you, whether that's through the website, like we said, parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. You can find it on all the app stores. And then also we will have an Instagram called the Yamcast Instagram. So if you have any questions or anything, yeah, just don't hesitate to, uh, to reach out. If you have any things that you would like us to to talk more about, let us know.